Welcome to Navigating the Modern World. I am your host, Kimberly Johnson. I am a life coach and a sex coach. This podcast was made for you, for you to get the most out of your life. We as human beings are made to win. This podcast offers a perspective in life that has you win, no matter what the challenge or outer circumstances you find yourself in. If you want to learn more about my work, you can go to KimberlyCoaching.com. Hello and welcome to episode 127 of Navigating the Modern World. Oh, I like that number. One, two, seven. Um, it's been a while and I'm so deeply, deeply grateful to be here. And I actually, I want to start this, I want to start this podcast with a poem. The poem is called, if I can get it, Thankful For, and it's by Nancy Carmody. The mess to clean up after our party, because it means I have been surrounded by my friends. The taxes I pay, because it means that I'm employed. The clothes that fit a little too snug, because it means I have have enough to eat. My shadow who watches me work, because it means I am out in the sunshine. The spot I find at the far end of the parking lot, because it means I am capable of walking. All the complaining I hear about our government, because it means we have freedom of speech. The lady behind me in church who sings off key, because it means that I can hear. Lawn that needs mowing, windows that need cleaning, and gutters that need fixing, because it means I have a home. My huge heating bill, because it means that I am warm. Weariness and aching muscles at the end of the day, because it means that I have been productive. The alarm that goes off in the early morning hours, because it means that I am alive. Because it means that I am alive. I really love this poem. Um, it was read by one of the people who are who is a cohort in my school program. And I love it because oftentimes when things get hard, we tend to allow our thoughts to make it harder. So when things get hard, we then think about the things that are hard in a negative way, which then in Buddhism is called the second arrow. It causes more suffering. And what I love about this poem is that it, it points to that pain is inevitable and suffering is the choice. So pain is inevitable. We will have things that are painful, like little things, um, from having to wake up early to an alarm, 
to, um, you know, stubbing our toes to having someone not like us, you know, like little things to really, really big things like divorce, death. And the one that I'm going to talk about today is um, having an experience where you are faced with your own mortality. So I spent the last two weeks hiking um, out in Moab and then in Colorado. And I got caught in a very, very, very scary situation. And I'm going to kind of share the story. And as I share the story, I want to suggest to you that you listen to the story from the place of listening to where you feel pain in your own life right now. And really taking on that you have choice in how you react and respond to that pain. So 12 days ago, I got stuck in a canyon in Torrey, Utah for two and a half days and... The last full day and a half, I, me and my friend who got stuck, we didn't have food or water. And what started as a trip of a lifetime traveling with one of my best friends turned quickly into a nightmare. And I want to set the scene a little bit. So this was a 22-mile trail. It was an unmarked trail that has one of the most profound slot canyons in the desert of America. This trail is sought after by many people because of its challenging terrain and its beauty. My friend and I spent weeks preparing, reading about the trail, reading about where we could find water in the narrow slot canyon, and dreaming about how much fun we would have. Day one of the hike, we were supposed to hike 9.8 miles into a slot canyon that had access to water. Instead, we hiked 13 miles in 110 degree weather with no shade and could not find our slot canyon or access to said water. When we left our car the first day, we had two gallons of water, thinking that we would find water down in the canyon. And now after the first day, we were left with two liters of water, 45 pounds on our back and exhaustion from not being able to find the trail we were looking for. Day two, we did not want to risk completely running out of water in another 110 degree day. So we decided to get up at 3 a.m. and just hike right out of the canyon to our car. After tearing down base camp, we began hiking. My friend from the day before had literally blisters covering her entire feet. Like, I have never seen blisters like this ever. In fact, when she took off her shoes, I literally had to like tell myself very silently, like Kimberly, keep it together. Like, because it was so bad. And 13 miles is a long ways on feet like that. And so because of her feet being covered in blisters, you know, our walking was slow and paced to help her in her own pain. So around 10 a.m., the the sun began beating down on us on another smoldering hot day in the desert. And we began to question if we were anywhere near the trailhead. 
And having drank most of the two liters of water at this point, you know, we've hiked 13 at this point plus miles. Um, and we literally were in deep fear that we had hiked past the trailhead in the opposite direction. And when we had this kind of moment when we were like, wow, it's really hot. We don't have much water left. And we think we have overhiked again trying to find our trailhead. I looked at my friend and I just said, listen, I need you to tell me exactly what you think we need to do. And she looked at me seriously and said, Kimberly, I think we need to find shade and lay low until the sun goes down. This is at 10, around probably 10.30 a.m., okay? So the sun going down is like 7.30 p.m., right? So I completely agreed. And she, you know, she even really said, you know, if we get caught in this heat, like we're going to be in very serious trouble, So I completely agreed and we found these two trees. They were sitting next to each other. So they created this like, you know, shade area where no matter where the sun was, we would have shade. So we sat down under these two trees and we began to kind of just lay there. And for seven and a half hours, seven and a half hours, a full work day, we laid under these trees unable to drink water, and unable to eat, having no idea where we were. All that we knew is that nothing around us looked familiar. At this point, because of how we were kind of uh, portioning water, even the last two liters and hiking, you know, whenever we finally realized we had hiked way over our destination, so we had hiked almost... Um, 17 miles, you know, hiking 17 miles in the desert on barely any water, my body started to act really funny. Um, I began going into like shivers, like cold, like I was cold. It's 110 degrees and then sweating. And at this point, my my mind also started thinking about the real possibility that we may not get out of this canyon that we might actually need to be rescued. I laid there for seven and a half hours in some physical pain and mental pain, thinking about my boyfriend, thinking about my family, thinking about water as my mouth began to become more and more dry. Like if anybody out here listening has ever had dehydration, it is crazy what begins to happen in your mouth. Like, literally, um, I don't know if anybody's ever had dry mouth, um, or cotton mouth, I think is what it's called, but you you can't even swallow. It's this very interesting experience. And then I began feeling things like my organs began to ache as it went into dehydration. Like literally I could feel certain organs, like almost just aching. And as you guys know, I practice mindfulness and meditation and my practice with mindfulness had really begun the day before hiking in direct sunlight at 110 degrees. I kept saying gently to myself whenever I was like overheating, really, um, I began saying to myself, whispering to myself, this is uncomfortable and it is temporary. This is uncomfortable and it is temporary. And I began to also really begin monitoring one step at a time, one breath at a time, 
one step at a time, one breath at a time. I kept bringing myself fully back to my breath. Every time I would have, like I would focus on my breath and I would remember to kind of bring, you know, bring it back to present moment, this step, I would be met with this like really beautiful wave of peace, clarity, and strength. As I practiced in the heat, I remember uh, we were hiking and I, I just jokingly said to my friend, man, this feels like a spiritual pilgrimage. I could just even like see Jesus, you know, walking in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. Like I could literally, I felt like that. And I also, you know, could imagine the Buddha um, really like as an ascetic, like putting himself through these extreme situations for spiritual development. And at that point, when I was kind of joking about the spiritual pilgrimage, I obviously was, you know, had no idea of what was to come. So the practice, my practice with mindfulness and meditation really deepened under these two trees. I began bringing awareness to what was arising, labeling it in my mind and allowing it to be there. Stomach pain. Body aches. Sadness. Fear. Unpleasant thoughts. Death. Calm. Tears. My friend's fears. My friend's body pain. Screaming for help. Whatever arose, I just labeled it, felt it, sat with it. Time changes in crisis. It slows down. I didn't realize this until sitting under these trees for two, for seven and a half hours. Like there's nothing to do but be with whatever is there. As I labeled in aloud, I noticed so intensely how quickly things pop in and out of the mind. How quickly I would move from fear to hope, then back to fear. And then how quickly even things in the body change. How I would have like this intense kind of feeling or pain in my stomach. And then if I just sat with it and watched it, how quickly it would go away. And at this point, under these trees, the observer really took over. And nothing I was experiencing was personal. I kept allowing. As I allowed, I kept whispering things to myself like, you have done good in your life, Kimberly. You have a beautiful life, Kimberly. You are loved. You love deeply. It's going to be okay. And as I whispered these things, a lot of times calm would come. And inside of calm, something really interesting would happen. Like um, at one point, I was feeling very calm and I was, you know, laying on the ground under these two trees and my eye kept catching one of the limbs that was right above my head. And I just would stare at it and be like, wow, this tree is so beautiful. The leaves, the sap, it had little fruit on it. I was literally just like, wow, 
this tree is so beautiful. Like I would, I would have these moments of just like experiencing in present moment the true beauty that was right there with me. And when calm would come, I would bring my attention back to my breath, noticing how in the breath that there's always calm and peacefulness there. And then once again, my mind would begin to wander. My body would begin to feel pain or react again and then repeat. It was this constant kind of cycle, like feeling peace and then my mind wandering, going to fear and then my body hurting and then finding peace again. And I would catch the wandering and I would remind myself, this is pain. Kimberly, this is pain. This is fear. I realized under those trees that there was nowhere to run, like literally nowhere to run. I had nothing that I could do. I couldn't pop on social media. We didn't have phone service. Obviously, if we had phone service, we would have been out of there. I couldn't eat, you know, I couldn't eat cookies or sugar, which is like oftentimes my go-to. I couldn't put on music or call a friend. I was forced to actually face my pain. I was forced to face true fear. I was forced to face the reality of my current situation, which had gotten very serious. Finally, around 7.30 p.m., um, you know, the sun began to go down and there was still some sunlight. So at this point, neither of us had eaten or drank any water all day. And my friend actually began seeing black spots. And with the condition of her feet, hiking was slow and each step was a challenge. And in these moments, I remembered to meet her with the same kindness I was meeting my own pain. She too was deeply suffering. So as we began to hike, we began to set back towards where we had come. So imagine this, right? We overhiked past water. We couldn't find water. And then we tried to get back to the trailhead and we overhiked one more time. So by about 9 p.m., my friend literally collapsed in exhaustion and dehydration. And we were in this like creek bed, um, and this is kind of like, you know, in hindsight, you can kind of laugh about this. But the first night camping in the, you know, in the canyon, we like set up our tent. We had, we blew up our air mattresses. We had, um, you know, our sleeping bags. We had things bundled up under our heads for pillows, you know. And then now, being in dehydration and literally like being in 110 degree heat all day and not drinking water or eating, we literally collapse in this creek bed. Like no, no pillow, you know, no tent, no sleeping bag, like just collapse in dehydration. Like I, um, I felt like I really understood how monks just can sleep on the ground because literally sleeping on the ground all of a sudden felt very comfortable. It's like we had no choice. So you just do it and it feels actually comfortable. Like I was like, Oh, okay. I can, I can see how people can do this. Like I could really see it. And, you know, when she collapsed, we, we really decided, you know, it's dark and we had a headlamp. But the moon was almost full, so let's just lay here until the moon comes out, and then we can keep hiking. 
give her some rest, give me some rest, and then we can keep going. So we also really knew that if we didn't get out of there today, this point, no water. And the dire situation of no water in 110 degree weathers in a canyon becomes very real. And we knew that if we didn't get out of there today, that there was a high possibility that we could die in this canyon and that we would definitely need someone to rescue us. So as we laid there, she fell asleep, deeply exhausted. And once again in the stillness, I was unable to sleep and all of my pain came back. My body shutting down. I hadn't peed in about 12 hours. I hadn't drank water or eaten anything. My organs sending sharp pain into my body. My body once again shivering in the night cool air and then going into sweats. I kept thinking I can't lose any more liquid. Like every time my body would go into sweats, I would be like, oh my gosh, I can't. Like I, my body can't lose any more liquid. And fear really began to set in. So once again, I practiced. And this time as I practiced mindfulness, um, I, had this, I had this lucky moment when I realized that I had the stars with me. I looked up. The moon wasn't out yet, so I don't know if anybody's been to Utah, but holy moly, the sky in Utah. I looked up and I could see the Milky Way. The Milky Way was just right there, right above. And I maybe haven't seen stars that magnificent maybe in my entire life. And as I stared up and I rested in my breath, I knew that I had to keep my mind right. I knew that I had choice. To keep my mind right. I knew that I had choice in what I was thinking. I knew I had to keep with my breath and focus on the present moment. I knew that I had to keep facing what was right in front of me, which was sometimes thoughts of death. And sometimes it was body aches. And sometimes I would look over at my friend sleeping and I would feel this like deep, immense love. And whatever came, I kept allowing it. I kept meeting everything with like a gentleness, like kind of like um, maybe the way that I would meet my niece or my nephews. Just this like sweet gentleness. And I kept reminding myself, This is temporary. Nothing is forever, Kimberly. Even this body, this too, is not forever. I learned in this quick, scary adventure that the only thing that matters is how we meet things. So there's like a point of contact that I really want to discuss. You know, when something occurs in the outer world, it in moments makes contact with us. And in that point of contact, we have choice. A lot of people don't realize that they have such deep, beautiful choice in that moment of contact. And I realize that what matters is one, to meet whatever contacts you with a gentleness and a kindness. 
Like, oh, this is fear. Oh, this is, um, you know, negative thinking. This is me thinking that I got us in this situation. Because I honestly was the one that thought we hadn't hiked far enough. And that was on me. I did that. And so meeting those thoughts like, oh man, like I think I may have caused this. Meeting that with kindness. And the second thing that became really clear to me is that we have to remain in the truth. And the truth of this life is that everything is temporary. Including our life. And every time I would remind myself that this is temporary. This is temporary. This body pain, temporary. These negative thoughts, temporary. This body, temporary. Every time I would remember that, a wave of peace would come over me. Like, oh, you're just experiencing life. And I also had this deep realization when I was down there that just as much as we need to let go of our suffering, because it's temporary, we don't need to cling to it. It's temporary. We also need to do the same with our happiness. It also is temporary. Our pain, temporary. Our pleasure, temporary. The thing that maybe isn't temporary is our ability to observe it all. This thing that can observe and can witness and can uh, meet things kindly. There's something about that that's beyond the the small pleasures and the big pleasures that we get in life and the the small pains and the big pains that we get in life that actually all of that stuff is just temporary and it really saved me down in this canyon because i recognized every time i was experiencing something quite painful or i began to suffer from my mindset or my mood that i could remind myself babe this is temporary This too will pass, this too will go away, and something else will arise. And when you're forced to sit with that, you notice how quickly different things arise. You notice how quickly things go away. And how quickly new things come. So after 32 miles of wandering in the desert, what was supposed to be a 22-mile hike ended up being about a 32-mile wandering Um. And deep signs of dehydration for me and my friend, we found the trailhead. (laughs) We found the trailhead about, I think it was about 4 a.m. And we still had to climb out of the canyon wall. I don't know if anybody's been to the desert, but the canyon wall is like this massive wall that you literally have to like rock climb through scree climb up rocks like we still had to climb out and the whole time we we climbed out we literally my friend mostly at the beginning because she was just like she knew before i knew that we were on the right track um bless her she's so she has a wisdom of her which is why i'm so grateful that she was the one that i was hiking with um but she just screaming you know like screaming like 
yes, <laughs> you know, just like, oh my gosh, we found it, you know. Um, and I tell this story because one, it was really transformational for me. Until you're actually faced with like, holy moly, this is not good. Something serious is happening. Then you, it's like, we can like, I meditate on death all the time. I have had profound experiences meditating on death, but it's extremely different when you're actually at death's doorstep. And I just realized how beautiful our pain is, how beautiful our suffering is, how those moments are our moments to practice and transform our hearts. And the Buddha says something really beautiful that I love. Um, he says it in the Pali Canon. He says, and he says it in the context of a story. So I'm not going to tell the story, but um, well, maybe I'll tell a little bit of the story. So this this person comes to the comes to him comes to the Buddha, and they're very ill, and they say, you know, Buddha, help me. I'm very ill. And the Buddha says, are you practicing? And what he means is, is are you practicing the Dharma? Are you practicing being present? Are you practicing focusing on your breath? Are you practicing understanding everything's impermanent? Are you practicing um, understanding the suffering that you're going through? Are you practicing, right? And the person replies to them, no, I'm close to death. I, I'm not able to practice. And then the Buddha says this, he says, if someone is not willing to practice the Dharma or to practice whatever tools you might have, it may not be Buddhist tools, but whatever tools you have been given, whatever tools um, that are in your pocket, if you're not practicing them when death is near, then you won't practice when you're happy. You'll have no reason to practice when you're happy. Everything's great and perfect and fine. And I really, really saw the truth of that. And I wanted to share this story, one, because, dang, it's a good story. But two, I want to urge whoever's listening to practice. I don't care what your tools are. You know the tools that work for you. And I want to deeply encourage you to practice. And I want you to practice in, in a way that one has patience. Like whatever patterns you struggle with, whatever habits you struggle with, you didn't get those habits overnight. So don't expect them to just go away overnight. It takes practice and patience. But also be diligent in your practice. Practice when you're happy. Practice when you're not happy. Practice when things are pleasant. Practice when things are unpleasant. Practice at all moments. That way, when you get put in a situation like I was in, maybe not in the desert, but whatever whatever suffering is headed your way, because there is suffering heading your way. There's suffering heading all of our ways. We're human. We're going to suffer. It's part of life. Whatever pain is here. 
to practice when you when you practice in in simple moments and joyful moments that when a big painful moment comes in you there's nothing else but to practice and i really saw this i saw the kind of um fruit of my work in a real way being able to um you know encourage my friend when she was struggling that was because I had practiced. I was able to get out of my own being and be generous to her when she needed it. That's from practice. I, I really, as I reflect back on the situation, I realize how easy it would have been to get caught in my own fear and to have been trapped and enslaved by my own fear. And to have chosen not to practice, to have chosen to kind of have a freak out. And to, I have had moments of like of that in my life too. And so I urge you to practice, especially in times when things feel easy. So that when things don't feel easy, you are practiced. It's kind of like athletes. Like, think about it. They practice all the time. They practice against their own team. They, and then that way, they're practicing all the time. So then that way, when they get on the field in a real game, and when adversity comes, they're practiced in dealing with the adversity. They don't just practice once or twice and then go and have a game, right? It's like, no, they're practicing all the time so that whatever adversity shows up on that field, they then are practiced in dealing with that that adversity. And I'm going to end the quote with um, this beautiful quote by this woman named Edith Egger. She was a woman who survived the Holocaust. She's amazing. She... Um, she wrote her first book at 90 years old, 90. She wrote her second book at 92. It just came out. And she's just this like beautiful spirited person. Um, and she says, I walk through the shadow of the valley of death, but I do not camp there. I do not run from Auschwitz, she says. That's, that's where she was. She was in Auschwitz. She said, I face it every single time it comes into my mind and I walk through it, but I do not camp there. All the things going on in the world right now, I know a lot of people that feel helpless and hopeless. And I get it. It, it, you know, things feel intense. There's fires everywhere. And, and in fact, like in my, at my own house, I can barely see past my windows. There's so much smoke. We have Black Lives Matter rallies and, you know, um, protests and all these things happening. We have coronavirus. We have all these things. We have a big election happening. We have a bunch of things that could have someone feel helpless or hopeless. And I want to remind you that it's all temporary. And that if we don't keep reminding ourselves of the truth, and if we don't keep practicing, then they will take us over. But this is just a blip in time. Like um, in 10 years, it's going to be something else. So this is the time to practice and be diligent in your practice. Whatever tools you have been given. And if you don't have any tools, hire someone that has tools. 
Hire someone that can help you through this. Hire someone that resonates with you. Hire someone. Get the help and support you need so that you don't have to suffer as much. The world needs people who aren't suffering as much. There's a lot of that. You can see it. Do your work. I urge you to do your work so that you can walk peacefully no matter what the external circumstance. So to close, when things get painful, notice this is pain. This is fear. Acknowledge it. We get so caught in it before we even acknowledge what's actually here. This is depression. This is anxiety. And meet it like you would meet the love of your life. You wouldn't ignore the love of your life if they walked into the room. You wouldn't. You would see them and you would say, hi, so good to see you. Meet your pain like that. And remember, this too is temporary. This too is temporary. Everything comes and goes. Our thoughts, our emotions, our fears, our body sensations, our bodies, everything. And contemplate the temporary nature of everything. Look around your house. When did this thing come to you and when will it go from you? All the plates you have. Eventually you'll either get rid of them or they'll break. Right? The house you live in, eventually, even if you live in, live in that house until the day you die, eventually that house will go. The grass, it comes, it goes. Your animals, they come, they go. The books you have, they come, they go. The clothes you have, they come, they go. Your body pain, it comes and it goes. Contemplate the temporary nature of everything. And when things get painful or stressful or anxiety-ridden, get curious. Ooh, what's occurring? I feel it. What's here? What am I believing? And don't lose your humor. I think the biggest thing people um, get caught in is they get very serious. When things get painful, they get very, very serious. And I want to encourage you to not lose your humor. Life isn't as serious as we make it. Like, um, it's we're, we're just here and we... We get caught in things. We get caught in situations where coronavirus happens or, or um, you know, Black Lives Matters arises, like all these things. Like we don't have to be so serious about it all. We can work towards peace and we can work towards, um, you know, taking steps to protect ourselves without being so serious. We can actually be playful and humorous as we do these things. And I think it's so wildly important. You know you're caught in something in a real serious way when you're serious all the time. And I had this other profound kind of experience when I was down in this canyon realizing that it was like I was met with something um, really quite beautiful. Every time I would allow myself to really feel the fear and the pain and all the things arising, 
I was met equally, equally, I want to be very clear, equally with deep joy. Like, like seeing the tree and seeing its beauty or seeing the Milky Way or looking at my friend feeling deep, immense love or even feeling my own gratitude for my own life and my own being. I was met equally. So the amount that we allow ourselves to feel our pain or feel our suffering equally is met with joy. And I've been just so... I don't, I don't really know the word except for maybe moved and changed by this experience, knowing that whenever we do the things in life that make us joyful, I'm not, I'm not talking about quick fixes where you're like getting high all the time or drinking all the time or having um, like crazy sexual experiences or like all that. I'm not really talking about like quick uh quick pleasure experiences but like when you actually do the things that make you joyful like for me it's like being in nature and doing that often or for me it's playing music and really feeling that music um for me it's meditation really like enjoying meditation for me it's reading books um that inspire me or are about personal development or about Buddhism. For me, it's about looking at the Buddha, you know, like these things bring me actual joy day to day. And when I do the things that make me joyful, who am I in the world? I'm a joyful being in the world. And that's how we change people. That's how we change life. That's how when people interact with a joyful person, you know, you've interacted with joyful people. It changes you. You're like, oh my gosh, that person really was so happy and joyful. And when you interact with people who are anxious and upset or angry or jaded at the world, that also affects you. And you have to start being honest with yourself. How am I being in the world? One, because you reap the karma. So if you're a miserable person in the world, you're reaping that karma. You get the effect of that misery. But also, that's how you affect the world. That's the ripple you're putting in the world. And there's nothing wrong with feeling miserable at moments. But allowing yourself to actually feel the misery, experience the misery, go through the misery, instead of attaching to it and walking around the world jaded, when everything is temporary. The presidency, temporary. Coronavirus, temporary. Black Lives Matter, temporary. All of it, temporary. It's all going to keep evolving and changing over time. Changing, evolving, temporary, temporary, temporary. So being responsible for how you are, being responsible for the actions you're taking, for the thoughts you're believing, for the thoughts you're thinking. Be responsible and practice. I started the podcast with a poem of gratefulness because when I was down in that canyon, I I will tell you this, nothing mattered, but I just wanted my normal life. I wanted to be able to make food. I wanted to be able to play with my cat. I wanted to be able to, um, you know, just sit and stare at a wall without a worry. 
I wanted basics. I didn't want to travel the world and do all these things, even though um, I do think there's something sparked in me about really doing my career and other things too. But it wasn't, it was like basic. I just wanted basic. I wanted to like hug my boyfriend. So wherever you are today, in whatever way you're suffering or feeling pain, find your breath. Watch the temporary nature of your thoughts, because it is your thoughts that are causing you suffering. I'm going to say that again. It is your thoughts that cause you suffering. If you have negative thoughts, you're going to suffer, period. What are your thoughts? Why are you giving them so much weight? Why are you believing them so like you're indebted to them? Like they're so true. Why? They're thoughts. Literally thoughts. I have crazy thoughts. I have crazy thoughts. I have thoughts that are ridiculous. Why are you putting so much weight? Why? Ask yourself. Get curious. Start being honest. You guys are beautiful. I'm so grateful to be here and to be able to make this podcast. Okay, until next time.